0: Welcome to Creative on Purpose Live. The show helps you fly higher in endeavors that make a difference. Are you ready? Cultivate excellence through work that enhances the lives of others. It's time to be creative on purpose. This season is called Local Focus, and my guests are artists and creative entrepreneurs from in and around my hometown of Floyd, Virginia. These are folks carving out a living in rural America by leaning into creative endeavors done with and for their friends and neighbors, enterprises that leverage curiosity, courage and clear intention. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Endeavor and the founder of Creative On Purpose. You can learn more about me and my work at BeCreativeOnPurpose.com. Let's meet today's guest. Andy Finn, welcome to the broadcast. Please tell our viewers who you are, what you're up to these days, and where we can connect with you online to learn more.
1: Sure, sure. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate being here. Uh, my name is Andy Finn. I live in Floyd, Virginia, and uh i own a graphics and sign company here in Floyd. Uh, I've been in the graphics and sign industry uh, for close to 40 years. I started in high school, and uh, it turned into a career for me. And uh, I enjoy making signs and graphics. I enjoy the opportunity to work with folks uh, to help advance their businesses and advance their message. And it's uh, it's, been a great, it's been a great career for me. Uh, I am online at fingraphics.com, and I also have a Facebook Facebook page, Fingraphics, and uh, you can email me through that site or call me. Um, Either option is available there on the site.
0: Awesome. Well, I would love to get into how you came to become a, a sign maker and a graphic designer, but before we dive into that... I would love to learn more about your story about how you and your family ended up in Floyd.
1: Yeah, that was uh that was uh right out of uh left field or right field, whatever that metaphor is. I can't remember which field, but uh it, it came at us out of the blue. Um we had been in Colorado for twenty-five years and uh we were quite content there, we had a good life. Um never thought we would move again. We loved the house we were in. We, uh, my wife and I were both self-employed. And I went to see uh, Joel Salatin, who is a famous uh, uh, organic farmer from the uh, Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. I went to see him speak at Colorado College. And I was particularly struck by his story. And I went home and said to my wife, what do you think about moving to Virginia? And neither one of us had ever been here before.
0: Wow.
1: Um, I haven't been in touch with Joel Salatin. I never, other than hearing him speak that day, I don't know him. I, 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 I don't have any desire to look him up, but he was the, uh, the catalyst for this. And, um, uh, she said, huh, well, I hadn't really thought about that. And that summer she put the kids in the car. They were, they were probably about, uh, seven and nine at that point or something like that. And, uh, She drove to Virginia. I stayed home and took care of uh, business there. And she uh, had appointments across the state to visit with different realtors to just kind of get a lay of the land. And she was meeting a friend from Farham who uh, uh, she was coming up from Asheville, meeting a friend from Farham. He said, oh, I think we should stop in Floyd because I think you would really like Floyd. And she pulled into Floyd on a Friday night. She made friends with somebody with an apartment uh, above all the goings on on Friday, and she called me from their balcony and said, there's bluegrass music playing on the street beneath me. I think I found the place. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so we uh, we spent, uh, she continued her journey all the way to the uh, Chesapeake Bay and didn't find another place that, that, that grabbed her more than this. And uh, we spent about two years coming back and forth. We would come for a week to 10 days, visit. Uh, get to know folks, um, discern uh, whether this was something we were really going to be able to do. And then finally, we were here for spring break in 2013, I think it was. And we uh, we bought a house and, and said, okay, we're coming. And in July of 13, we loaded up the trucks and moved this way.
0: That's amazing. That your story is not that dissimilar to mine. I was uh, playing a gig in Roanoke at the time. We were living in Charleston, South Carolina, and somebody and I was talking about how my wife and I and my family wanted to wanted to buy something, wanted a piece of land, and wanted to you know raise the boys a little bit more rurally, like we had been raised. And he just said, "Well, you should check out Floyd." And literally, we just the next day because my family was traveling with me on that particular. Uh, trip, we stopped in Floyd and took a look around. And when I got back to Charleston, I gave my band two months notice that I was leaving. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I hear stories like yours and like mine all the time from people that move here. Floyd is really a magical place made um, all the more so by the the folks that have been here, um, you know, for generations. And uh, it's just, it's it's amazing the thing to me the things that draw us here. But it it is we are nestled here in in rural America. This is a uh, an area of the country that has a long agricultural heritage. Um, industry was you know back in the day mostly textile mills and things of that nature. Um, and it can be kind of a, a a difficult place for a creative person to get a, an enterprise a profitable enterprise off the ground. What are some of the Challenges that you face, and what are, what are any tips or, or um, uh, approaches that worked for you that you think would benefit people that are contemplating a, a creative endeavor in this neck of the woods or anywhere else in, in, in the world?
1: Yeah, you know, well, I, I had the advantage of having had my business in Colorado for so many years, and um, I was able to bring a lot of that work with me. Uh, when I came, and I, I do a lot of that work remotely now, uh, ship a lot of things back to Colorado still uh, to this day, even though we've been here six years now. Um, I was working on uh, Colorado work this morning before we got on the uh, the, the program here today. Um, so that was definitely a, you know that was definitely put us over the hump. if if, if I had had to come here from scratch, it it, it would have been pretty lean uh, from the get-go. Um, that said, it, it it's, uh, it's a great opportunity for me to be here in Floyd. There There isn't another sign maker in town, um, at least not on the scale that I am doing it um, with a brick and mortar presence. Um, uh, it's a very vibrant small town. You know, we can, uh, our first summer here, we drove to the beach and we took the back roads and we went through a lot of small towns that, uh, you know the the main streets are basically shuttered up, and uh, it, it it was uh, really the, the 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 difference between those small towns and Floyd was was striking. And it uh, you know you look at Main Street here, and there's not a single empty building. Um, and if there is, it's not empty for long. And uh, you know there's businesses here that are wanting to grow. They're having a hard time finding buildings to grow into. Um, so we do have a kind of a unique position. Um, and we're not as isolated as we could be. I mean, we, it's, it's certainly remote where we are, but within, uh, you know, within two hours, there's, there's, you know, in three different directions, there's, um, uh, you know, several million people. We talk about Greensboro, Winston-Salem, Roanoke, Blacksburg, uh, Christiansburg. There's, uh, something like a dozen colleges within a hundred miles of Floyd. Um, and, and so there's, uh, there's, there's there's opportunities here, Uh, but yeah, it can be challenging. Um, I sometimes instruct when I'm working with a new client or even an existing client, they'll want to sign and we'll, we'll, uh, you know, propose something that is dressed up and interesting and, you know, fun and vibrant and, and they want to sign with, you know, three lines of red words on a white background. It says, you know, whatever it says and uh, the the interesting thing that just doesn't sell. Um, even though we're not necessarily gonna charge them more for it, we just wanna do something fun and, and get their message out there in a unique way. Um, so sometimes that can be a challenge, uh, and we're working on that, educating folks, and uh, and I'd say that's one of my biggest jobs when I'm doing a sign or doing a project is is how do we make this interesting, rather than just, you know, Three lines of red copy on a white background.
0: Well, and the, the core thing that it seems that you do, and you've you've alluded to this a couple times, is this idea of storytelling, telling somebody, somebody else's story through uh, a logo, through the design of their sign, through the font choice, through you know the, the choice of text, even though that's going to be obviously limited. Um, what, what are the, the, the tools or the, the strategies that you use to, when you're working with a new client, uh, to kind of help? Uh, well, I'm, I'm guessing that many of your clients know their story and know what they want to convey. But at the same time, there's probably just, just as many that don't understand that aspect of the marketing that what they really need to do is to to sell their story, to tell a true story about themselves to people that need to hear it so that they can have their lives enhanced through whatever product or service that they're um that they're offering. So how, how do you approach how do you think about the storytelling and the work that you do and, and how do you approach um both sides, the people that have a story they want to tell and the people that don't yet understand the story?
1: Well you know it's it's a it's a great question and the the, the side interest industry has, has evolved so much, um, you know, uh, 50, 75 years ago, 100 years ago, the sign guy was the guy with a toolbox and some paints and some brushes and he would go from town to town, especially in these small towns, and he would uh, he would spend a little bit of time there and he would paint the uh, window for the doctor's office and paint the uh, window at the, at the uh, maybe at the town hall or, or at, the, uh, at the attorney's office. And as the story goes, you would drink up the profits and then move on to the next town. Um, And uh, people have so much information at their hands now and are doing so much research on their own about marketing, about messaging, about branding. Um, And information is good. They also have uh, everybody has a computer and they have. Uh, some sort of design program. If it's not the stuff that we're using, it's a simplified version through Microsoft Word or PowerPoint or something. And everybody wants to create their own image. And a lot of times, that that software isn't sophisticated enough to be able to to do that uh, adequately. Um, so so sometimes we have that to overcome. Uh, as far as people get stuck on seeing they they it's something they've created they're attached to. And to try to gently say, you know, I think we could improve on this. I think we could make this better. And uh, sometimes they're receptive to that, sometimes they're not. But that can be a real challenge. Um, The biggest challenge, uh, and let me, I guess I'll back up a step, to assist getting there uh, and helping them with a message and story. The best thing I can do and the skill that I've tried to refine is to um, get more information from them. I've got a questionnaire now that I mail to new clients and say, here, take a few minutes to fill this out and give me some give me a give me a starting place for this. Uh, some context. Um, look at my Web page. Look at some of the work I've done. Look at other Web pages for people from your industry. You should send me something you like. We're not going to copy that, but it's a, if we know that that's the, the, the essence that you like, then that gives us a starting place to create something for you. Um, the next thing I have to do that is oftentimes is distill things down um, the uh, the the what happens a lot is folks will bring in a mock-up whether it's for a sign or for vehicle graphics and they may do something a particular industry you know heating and cooling and They don't wanna just have ABC heating and cooling on their van with their phone number. They wanna have ABC heating and cooling, their phone number, and then they want a list of, you know, 47 things that they do in the community that they're available to do. Um, And what I try to do, my work then is to to get them to distill that down to the three, you know, basically three bullet points is how I like to approach it. You know, we do heating, cooling, uh, air-conditioning or we do uh, you know residential commercial um, License and insured or something like that to to keep it very simple. Um, I tell people all the time we can put as much copy or words on a sign or a vehicle as you would like and it comes at the expense of everything that goes on there Has to become smaller mm-hmm. and it becomes less effective. It just becomes noise And, uh, you know, vehicle wraps are really popular now, the full van wraps. They're very colorful, they're bright, they're flashy, there's a lot going on. There's gradients and swooshes and fades and blends. And, you know, nine times out of ten, one of those will drive by, and I look at it and I say, wow, that's really colorful, and I don't have a clue who they are or what they do. So the, the, the distinction between getting a vehicle wrap and getting a good vehicle wrap or getting a sign and getting a good sign you know, there's a there's a lot of real estate between those two uh, those two endpoints um,
0: yeah that's really interesting because uh, well there's a couple things that you said there that that I think are, are threads worth pulling on the, the first is that we live in the information age there's no shortage of information and when you have access to information then you have ac- you, you want access to all the information then suddenly we all get this idea that somehow access to information also makes us an expert or a craftsperson in domains where we have absolutely no training or experience. Um, I find the same thing with um, with uh, being a guitar instructor. People say, well, it's all available on the internet, um, but sooner or later, they need somebody that can show them, sit across a, a room and show them where to put their fingers and, and help them see what they're not seeing. And that's That's the other thing that I was kind of hearing and what you were saying is what it comes down to is we have access to all this information and all this uh, insight and even instruction, but that doesn't mean that we're seeing what what we need to see. And very often it comes people like you and I that are invested, have invested years in a craft. It seems almost that our first job is to help people see what they're not seeing. Because once they see it, they can't unsee it, and then the road to clarity and, and uh, making progress in whatever endeavor they're trying to, to promote becomes a little, um, a little bit easier. And then the other thing that I was hearing um, in what you're saying is also expressed in the sign over my left shoulder, less is more. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny, I, I, I didn't use those words, but that was exactly what I was thinking. And those are the words I use with clients all the time. Less is more, less is more. That's my mantra. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, when you focus on one thing, then um, it can eliminate the, 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 the noise and it puts things in a much clearer focus. And then, you know, once you get that thing, then the, the path to the next thing so often becomes much more clear. Um, so it's it's often even not focusing on the big thing, the big, hairy, audacious goal that you want, but like what's the next step towards the the vision that I have? Um, and if you can take small steps towards that, then you're in a better position not only to make progress, but also to see the things that you didn't see before that become opportunities and possibilities that were heretofore unforeseen that might actually Better places to go. We don't always end up exactly as your story indicates about moving to Floyd. <laughs> we don't always end up exactly where we intend, but we actually end up where we should be. Um, right. I, I love I love all that. Well, let, let's back up and now take a look at, at kind of what brought you into the into the domain that you're in into into graphic design. You mentioned that you started off in high school, so give us a little sense of the journey from. Your experience with a, yeah. I assume a high school job into education or whatever yeah. it is that brought you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, well, I think my story is interesting. Not so much the, the fact that I'm in it, but the fact that it started in a uh, a high school shop class uh, as a freshman. So that would have been about 1980. Um, uh, the they had a print shop in the high school, and it was run like a small business. It was it was a class for. For all four-year students, there was, there was uh, I think it was called graphic arts or graphics production, you know, one, two, three, and four, and you progressed from as, as a freshman to a senior through those classes, and this print shop printed everything for the entire school district. It was a small town. It wasn't a lot bigger than Floyd. It had one stoplight back in 1980. Now it probably has three, maybe four. Um, uh, but we printed everything from report cards to graduation programs to letterhead, to envelopes, um, business cards. We did we did everything and it was run literally like a small business. They would send us a requisition from an office at one of the elementary schools. And we would run the job and we would deliver it and send them a bill. And, and you know, that was happening at this school and there was also a, an auto shop that was run in a similar fashion and they were both great programs. Mm. And, you know, over the course of the next 40 years, we saw that disappear almost. And now it's becoming in vogue again. Schools are starting to talk about, wait a minute, not everybody needs to go to college. You know, uh, we need to, we need to train some folks to do, do some of this work that needs to get done. And it's becoming very popular. And even our high school here in Floyd is uh, the school district in Floyd is starting to talk about, okay, we're going to start working with internships and, and uh, increase technical education and. So it is coming back and I think that's a great thing that it is. Um, I happened to go to a four-year college for, um, uh, for graphic arts and, and uh, technical design um, and afterwards ended up working in high-tech for a few years uh, and it was just not a good fit. I uh, wasn't a match for me. I was uh, kind of a square peg in that round hole of, of uh, high-tech and Fortune 500 and suits and ties and uh, I, after a few years, decided to go back to my roots and ended up working at a sign company for uh, a couple of years. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, went out on my own in about 1994 and have been doing that ever since.
0: Interesting. I love uh, that. I, well, it, it, I, I agree that kind of hands-on training of any type, whether it's what happens in the automotive class at the high school or the shop class or what have you, um, you know, programming classes, things things of that nature um, can be really powerful. And what it reminds me of is, you know, this idea of craft and this idea of becoming an artist in your domain has a lot more to do with, what you do than it does with what you know or what you studied or what you what you're you're learning that the um you know learning that does not lead to action is useless is the the the, the quote that comes to mind from epictetus so really uh, just great that you were able to to have that experience and then um you know held on to it so you know that other part that you, you brought in about Paying attention to you know what is and what is not working, uh, a lot of folks get into um, occupations. Sometimes, in the case of doctors and lawyers, occupations for which they have invested a lot of time, money, blood, sweat, and tears, only to find that they are that square peg and they're not really fitting in um, in, in the round hole. Uh, what I, I am imagining that the job that you had was um, must have been reasonably lucrative, given the the domain that you were working in. Um, just talk, tell us a little bit about the thought process or um, you know the action steps that you took to kind of extricate yourself from what was not working for you. Uh,
1: it's a short story. It was easy. I got fired. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a little more to it than that. It was it, it was part of that not fitting, and um, it, it it was a Fortune 500 company that I was working at, um, and the uh, you know there were issues, there were problems within this company. Um, you know, w- without going too far down the rabbit hole, I think the bigger an organization becomes, on a lot of levels, the less efficient it actually becomes, mm. and uh, you know there were inefficiencies there. There were there were there were lots of, lots of challenges. And I tried as best I could to navigate those challenges uh, through the proper channels. And I thought I was following all the proper channels and come to find out, you know, whether I was or not, the uh, the, the folks in charge you know, weren't in agreement with me. Um, so I got fired and that was a little bit of a wake up call, you know, and it wasn't the end of the world. You know, I, I remember in that process, uh, A woman who was about my age. She was in HR, and she looked at me with kind of a shell shocked look, like, "What are you going to do?" Everybody else had left the room, and I said, "Well, I think I'm going to go fishing for a few days," (laughs) and that's exactly what I did. And um, and then I took some time off, and then I realized after uh, a couple of months, I I better you know, I better get back to work and get back to business and get back to living. Um, uh, But I was uniquely positioned. I was I was. You know, I don't know, what was I 23, 24 years old, something like that. I didn't have children. I didn't have a mortgage. Um, you know, I had rent, and I had a dog uh, that needed to be cared for myself, basically, and that was it. Um, so, you know, not that those other things are insurmountable, but it certainly is a different approach when when you don't have uh, a family dependent on you for, uh, for income and, and, uh, and to, you know, be the provider for so that that helped facilitate that um but I knew you know, like I said, I knew that, that it really wasn't a fit uh the that whole cubicle the cubicle life. there's a movie a kind of a cult classic office space mm-hmm. and the 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 business in that movie that is parodied is is identical to the place I worked i mean the dysfunction the exaggerated dysfunction was not exaggerated at all it was it was a carbon copy of that of that fictional place, and so I, I think it wasn't. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I was very long for that world, whether I had gotten the, the boot out or not. Uh, I think that just helped speed things along a little bit.
0: Well, there's there's two things that that are worth kind of highlighting there. The first is. You clearly had a good sense of who you were and what was what your values were, what your talents were, and and where you did and did not belong. So it's great when you know we can have that, especially at an early age before we get caught up in whatever else um, is pulling at our attention or whatever other, as you indicated, responsibilities come up. Um, but the other is that even even when things happen at a different point in life, when maybe there is a family and a mortgage uh, involved, it's easy for us to talk ourselves out of our agency. We, we can believe that the things, um, you know, that we have to make decisions based on, um, all the external things that, uh, you know, and, and we'll make decisions that make us internally very unhappy. But the, the fact is that even if it's hard, there are, we are always in possession of how we choose to frame things and what we decide to, to do next. And so um, the, the, call, the, the call to action here for any of the young folks tuning in is, you know, figure out who you are and what you're good at and where you belong early, and you will find yourself getting into situations where you are, where you belong with people who are like you and who need your talents to enhance their lives. So, um, I'm sorry, did you want to add something to that?
1: No, no, no. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I, uh, you know, the, a book you let me recently, Scott, the art of possibility, um, was a great read, uh, along those lines of looking at what is possible and, and how to get there. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, there's another way of framing it. How do you frame it in your work? You, uh, what, is, what is my, it's not mission.
0: You don't use the word mission. Oh, well, it depends on, um, I mean, for, for me, in terms of finding meaningful work, I, I, what I talk about in Endeavor is identifying exactly what I just articulated, who you are, what you're good at, and where you belong, which loosely can be described as values, talents, and tribe. Um, and that the intersection of those three things will help you identify the work that you're meant to do now. And that doesn't have to be your occupation. That can be your role as a parent, husband, teacher, whatever, or it could be a side hustle that you're working on, you know, while you're taking care of business, you know, with, with the family and whatnot. But I think having a vision, um, of, you know, the world that you want to live in can be really important. And I have talked about that in some of the other work, but the book that you mentioned, um, I just want I'll put a highlighter on that too, just cause it's, it's a great book uh, that's called the art of possibility by Ben and uh, Roz Zander. And um, there's, it's just loaded with great actionable maxims and aphorisms and stories and exercises that um, people can use right away to start leading into life with a little bit more integrity and intention.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really was. I, I, I loved reading it. I actually just ordered my own copy to have uh, because I gave you your copy back. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, uh, and it had all your highlights in it, so now I'm gonna get my own copy here in the next couple of days and I can make my own highlights uh, on the parts that are important.
0: Well, it's we're, we're approaching the end of our time here, but I, I wanted the, the last thing that you said that I wanted to touch on because you and I just had a conversation about this just a few days ago. Um, that also ties to what you were just talking about is this idea of impermanence, and you and I were discussing the the fire at Notre Dame, and you know there is a lot of um, there, there is a lot of uh, of despair and sadness about. You know, this great icon, uh, something that's been around for 900 years, is now s- suddenly not there. Um, but, you know, as in the case with everything else, you know, there, there is nothing that lasts forever. And s- what I was hearing in your uh, story about the impermanence of your job and the impermanence of your home in Colorado and everything else is that when, the, you know, as things change and as things disappear, we always have this um, pos- this opportunity to step into whatever's next, whatever's next for us. And we actually do have a lot of choices for how we position ourselves and frame things and um, the steps that we make. Um, so that came from what you said. I just want to share that thought. Um, as we're closing here, Andy, I've been asking everybody uh, that, that's been a guest the, the same last question. So now I'm going to ask it of you. Sure. And, That is, what's the one tip that you'd like to share with anyone listening who dreams of starting a creative, inspired enterprise, either in a small town like ours or or anywhere else?
1: You know, uh, not having planned for that question, I'm going to default to a a good friend um, uh, who who answered the same question recently. And I've been spending a lot of time reflecting on his answer because I think it's really valid, valid. Uh, but his name is Hayden, and he's an entrepreneur here in Floyd. He uh, he roasts coffee; uh, it's award-winning coffee, and he distributes it all over the country. Um, but, uh, as similarly, he said to plan for success, uh, not to plan for failure. And um, and I like I said, I've been reflecting on that, and I think it's a great it's a great piece of advice. Um, there, uh, it, it's 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 easy to plan for failure. Um, and, and, the part of that ties into the book we just talked about, mm-hmm. um, the art of possibility, uh, but to plan for, plan for success in the decisions that we make and in the actions that we take. And, um, you know, was it Einstein who said what we focus on expands and, you know, where, our, where our attention goes, there goes the energy. Um, so I, I think that, I think that goes a long way towards uh, achieving the goal, whatever the goal might be. I
0: love it. Yeah. Hayden will actually be a, a guest on the show in June. So we'll get to learn more about him and his story. And um, I love that. It's kind of, for me, the difference between hope and faith. Um, hope is not a very good strategy, but it's good to have faith that that, that if you put in the effort and, um, and, and uh, do what's necessary that you can make things happen, you have a lot more say in the matter than we usually think we do. Well, that's a, a, great, a great thing to end on. And I want to thank you, Andy, for being with us today. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, Andy and I really deeply appreciate you lending us some of your valuable time and attention. And we hope that today's broadcast motivates you to lean into an endeavor that matters with greater curiosity and courage. You can learn more about Andy Finn and Finn Graphics at, Andy? thinggraphics.com. It couldn't be easier than that. And of course, it's always great to hear from you and see you at becreativeonpurpose.com. Now, go out and make a difference and keep flying higher. Andy, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Thank you, Scott. It was a pleasure. I appreciate you having me.